Hey guys, so I wrote an article the other day about the relationship between wealth inequality and crypto. And my argument was that the emergence of crypto is going to reduce wealth inequality around the world and in the United States. And after I wrote this article, I received some very interesting comments, which I, you know, screenshotted together because I thought it would be fun to do a video to answer these questions and talk about some of these like very interesting points that um, some of the readers of the article raised. So that's uh, the purpose of this video. Uh, but before I go to the questions, I want to just recap what the article is about. I will link the article in the video below so you can check it out your, yourself. But basically my main point is if you look at the data, wealth inequality has been increasing in the United States currently is one of the highest in history and also around the world in, you know, emerging markets in China, in, you know, uh, Europe, um, but probably in the United States, that that's where wealth inequality has risen the most since um, World War II. And so um, my, so, so my point is number one, if you look at just mathematically, the increase in wealth inequality in a capitalistic society is basically inevitable, barring some external forces that will disrupt the existing equilibrium. And I will talk about what those equilibrium are, okay? what those uh, disruptors are, and crypto is one of them. But you think about it this way, okay? So the well increasing wealth concentration in fewer and fewer hands is unavoidable because number one, it's just a, a simple process of compounding. If you have a net worth of $10 million and I have a net worth of 100K and we both get the same return, like 5% return on our asset every year, in 10 years, your net worth is going to be 60, our wealth gap between you and me is gonna be 60% more compared to what it is today in absolute terms, okay? So um, that's just compounding. And so that's reason number one. Reason number two for the increasing wealth concentration is because the wealthy people, they can save more, right? So if I have 100K net worth and uh, that will be just uh, maybe like a 5,000 to 6,000 of annual yield in income. That's like nothing, right? So, but if you are in the top 1% and you have like 10 million, 20 million in net worth and your annual return is, your annual cash flow is going to be worth something. So you're able to save um, a lot more compared to a average person. So that's why statistically, the wealthy class, the saving rate is higher. That means uh, the wealthy can use that savings to again, invest in new assets and increase their claim on the share of economic pie in general over time, right? So you see this play out over time. It happens through generations and uh, wealthy people just get wealthier over time without disruptions when there is no, you know, 
external shocks to disrupt the existing equilibrium. And thirdly, it's also because the rich generally get higher return on investment about their on their assets because you know the middle class people usually their net worth is for a huge part their primary residence, which is a gives you a implicit yield because you don't have to pay rent, right? But still, it's a pretty low yield. It's like a four to five percent a year. But uh, when you are up in the top 1% or top 2% of the wealth ladder, you have a lot more other opportunities to invest in private equity, venture capital, other alternative asset classes, investment properties, you name it, right? So the accessibility of assets a lot more, it's a lot wider for the wealthy compared to the average person. So that's why I argue that in a system without, in the capitalistic system, without disruption, okay? Of course, there are always disruption, but without disruption, you always see wealth concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. So what are those disruptions? Well, number one, you can say taxes, right? So that's what progressive tax system is for, supposed to level the playing field. But in reality, in terms of execution, there are all sorts of problems and I'm not gonna get into that. But really, honestly, when it comes down to the bigger disruptors of existing wealth equilibrium, it's always things like war and famine, <laughs> revolutions, those like social disruptors that make everybody's life terrible, but on the same, at the same time, it also makes the wealth playing field more equal. Um, after World War II, you know, uh, a lot of foreign assets, for example, that is primarily held by the wealthy class went to zero and that automatically just in one scoop, right? When in one swoop, it reduced income inequality by a huge lot. And also the systemic, systemic disruptors like industrial revolution, um, when the, uh, you know, in the 18th century, uh, the wealthiest class in the wealthiest country, which is Britain, was the landowners, the um, the aristocrats that own agricultural land, right? That was uh, that was the asset in the 18th century. But uh, as agricultural prices went down, uh, when America joined the world trade in agriculture, right? And uh, at the same time, the productivity increased of society more and more shift to the industrial sector was the industrial revolution, right? Uh, this wealthy class declined uh, hugely between like from the end of the 19th century to early 20th century. That's because they were disrupted by industrial revolution and the discovery of uh, the new continent and the American, America uh, being integrated into world trade. So things like that is what I call the huge disruptors that they kind of reset the system to, you know, kind of even out the playing field a little bit more. And, and then over time, you see the wealth inequality growing again, going up again, when we are again, you know, in a sort of uh, quote unquote, peacetime equilibrium, when there are 
relatively few disruptors. So that's basically the process of uh, why there's you know increasing wealth concentration in society. So, but where does crypto come in? So, to me, I, I think you know crypto is one of the systemic shock, systemic disruptors that is at least in like a scale wise at least equal the industrial revolution and the world war ii in terms of uh, the impact on wealth equilibrium because you think about it you know ethereum and the bitcoin in the past uh, well bitcoin has 10 years history at least now and ethereum has a sh shorter time span but they both returned over 200 percent over the course of their existing life so if you are a you know poor person and you invest in these asset classes that gives you a huge leg up right so um and at the same time things like DeFi is disrupting the financial sector and it's redistributing the value added of the financial intermediation industry among the users of the banking products and the financial products. So that's going to be also a huge, you know, equalizer of wealth going forward as DeFi gets more adopted. And also, not only that, I, I think those are, are, are actually the smaller parts. The bigger parts, the bigger the game-changing part is crypto is redefining what asset is. Okay. It's like, you know, traditionally we have the asset class that we are used to today, stocks, bonds, real estate, right? Things that those are the major asset classes and real estate is about three, I think three, 350 trillion dollars uh, worldwide in market cap and uh, equity uh, stocks is probably, you know, 150 to 200 something like that. So those are the major asset classes, but it's not always like that. Like we talked about uh, 200 years ago, the main asset classes in the world were agricultural land. And then it shifted to, you know, government bonds, to factories and machines and to urban real estate. And then we have the stock market in the modern sense that we are, you know, familiar with. So the embodiment of wealth, the embodiment of assets are always changing throughout history. And especially when there, are, when there is a systemic disruptor like crypto that comes in, it changes the definition of wealth and how wealth is embodied, right? So um, it's like right now you have the whole asset supply around the world in stocks and bonds and real estate. But with crypto, it's like you are extending this pool of asset supply, right? With, um, you know, the things that you've probably already familiar with, the Bitcoin and Ethereum, but it's really only the very beginning, only a small part of the crypto asset class. And what I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing is the disruption that non-fungible tokens, the NFTs, 
is going to create um, to asset supply around the world to the definition of asset because I think that's going to increase the supply of asset pool a whole lot and uh, those are also the kind of asset classes that everybody has a uh, everybody can get in right you don't have to be a accredited in accredited investor to invest in NFT so um, that's going to level the playing field uh, even more uh, on top of what we are already seeing and again I don't think we have seen a whole lot because crypto is only as a whole is only a two trillion dollar asset classes and the real estate alone like we just mentioned is 350 trillion and above right so uh, seriously we haven't seen anything yet from this emerging disruptor but anyway so I've gone on for too long in recapping uh, in summarizing this article but let's look at some of the questions I got this one from Chang left and he says among the reasons you listed of why there's higher income inequality Number three makes sense, but one and two seems like you're just saying crypto doesn't result in as bad inequality as the current system rather than a systemic reset. Is that right? Well, again, I, I think crypto is going to level up the bottom of the wealth distribution because like lower income tier in society are going to have access to higher yield products financial products we are already seeing a lot of that it's just a there the user experience is terrible right now but you know uh, going forward things should be uh, in the next five years we should see a lot more uh, user-friendly financial products that generates higher yields that is friendly to you know non-crypto native or um, non-technology uh, savvy population uh, that's going to be huge for the next few years and I, I think that's that's coming very soon so that's going to level up the bottom and of course of course it, it like there are plenty of retail investors very heavily invested in crypto and uh, there are people who made life-changing sums of money you, you, you can't say that is not a disruptor of wealth, right? So statistically, that's probably small still. But again, we are only seeing the beginning of this revolution. We are talking about two trillion asset class, two trillion market cap in, of uh, total crypto market cap, right? It's really a drop in the bucket of the total supply of world asset right now. So that's going to level up the bottom and then it's going to disrupt the top because like I said in the article, the definition of wealth, of how asset is embodied is going to change from things like real estate or traditional stocks into crypto tokens, into NFTs. And so people who are holding the traditional assets are going to lose out, right? And the the top one top one percent and above are the ones disproportionately only a lot more in those traditional assets so I, I think there there will be some reshuffling on the top too so you level up the bottom you kind of reshuffle the top 
overall, it's going to reduce wealth inequality. By how much? It's I, I don't have an answer. Okay, but I think I think this this should be statistically measurable going forward. Not right now, because we're still talking about a two trillion, two trillion asset class, um, which doesn't count for a whole lot yet. Okay, so next question from Chody. He says, the problem I see is most crypto assets are not productive commodities. They confer ownership rights, but don't do anything. Rich people earn dividends and profits. Uh, some level productive assets in the digital economy will be interesting. Well, yeah, uh, right now, if you're talking about uh, assets like NFTs, they're not generating any yields, right? Uh, same thing can be said about you know, Bitcoin, but you can say the same thing about gold and uh, some other commodities, which has some industrial use case, but for the most part, the service, the value added they provide to society is to serve as a store of value, right? So if you, you know, you invest in some gold, you, the expectation is you, you at least, uh, you know, hedge against inflation because the price should account for inflation, at least because the asset has a limited supply. So that store of value function in itself is a service that financial product provides. I would not call it nothing. That's one, okay. And secondly, talking about productive use cases. So I, I think for the next 10 to 20 years, everything will be digitized. Like most of the economic activities will be digitized and uh, a whole lot of economic activities are going to be moved on chain to be like uh, the transactions will be done on blockchain and uh, uh, the ownership will be registered on the blockchain. So you, you're going to see a big chunk of so-called real world economic activities shifting on chain. And the result is you have we are already seeing, you know, you on a public blockchain like Ethereum, which is which has argue which has arguably the most quote unquote real world use cases right now. You can stake Ethereum and earn a you know five to six, seven percent of a yield every year already. So that is a percentage of essentially a percentage of the transaction fee, a sort of a transaction tax collected on the activities happening on Ethereum blockchain. So you're going to see more and more of that going forward. So I, I think that's what you're talking about in terms of productive use cases is when, when the blockchain, when more and more productive or economic activities are moved on chain or integrated in blockchain one way or another, and the chain itself it, it, it takes a cut of the activity. It's just, it's just like government collects the sales tax of economic ha activities happening under the, in, in the jurisdiction of the government. It's the same thing, okay? Um, I actually wrote an article about this. Uh, I think it's called uh, um, Ethereum, is Ethereum the new risk-free asset of the world? So basically it's talking about the same idea. So. Um, 
I think going forward, a staking yield like on a pu large public blockchain, such as Ethereum, is going to become the new benchmark rate <laughs> that every other asset class will price will be priced against. Because this is the minimum. If you stake ETH, this is the minimum you can you can you can get. Is like right now five six percent a year. So if you and and, and that's that's a like sort of a, a base tier of, of yield you can get in the blockchain economy, uh, and and it's considered relatively safe, right? So on top of that, if you're going to other DeFi product or NFT product, and your investor looking to invest in a higher risk product like those they're going to look at this benchmark yield and price um, the, the other assets accordingly, according to their, you know, their growth rate, their risk level, you know, all that traditional asset pricing principles will be applied to the blockchain setting. Uh, next one from Randy Grow. Uh, I'm not quite following how digital assets are analogous to farmland or urban real estate, which support production of necessary goods and services. Cryptocurrencies would be like gold or currencies. Okay, so this is like a similar question to the last one, because here's the thing, guys. Um, I think most of us, because we are so used to living in the physical world, we see the things that generate a physical product like a farmland, you grow crops on it, and you, you, you think that is, oh, tangible productive activity. But the world has changed so much, guys. Most of the activity, a lot of the activities, economic activities, value added activities are now happening on the internet, right? where you don't see food coming out of the internet. You, you only see digits coming out of the internet. And, but is that not value added? I don't think so, right? So um, I, that, that's what I'm saying. We all need to think hard about what exactly define value, okay? What exactly is productivity? It's not just crops growing out of the earth that that is that that's the productivity definition of 5000 years ago okay so uh, what what we humans consider valuable that we assign a price tag due to has changed so much since the you know advent of the internet and now web3 so um and cryptocurrency are more like gold. Uh, I don't think this is true. Some of them are like gold. Bitcoin is like gold, okay? Mostly NFTs, you can say they're still like gold. They don't have a yield. They're they not participated, participating in economic activities to generate value, though I think that's going to change for the NFT very soon. Bitcoin, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Bitcoin, uh, the best bet for Bitcoin is to stay put as a store of value, digital gold. Uh, but that's just me. Um, so, so, so really, you know, when we talk about asset, it's, it's really just a claim on economic output. And the claim can be uh, 
can be manifested in different ways. Cash is an asset. It doesn't generate yield, but it's liquid. It give, you can turn cash into groceries. People will accept it. It's a social agreement. So cash is an asset, right? So, and gold and Bitcoin still no yield. Houses, machines, these, you say, okay, they have a real world utility, so they give you some yield. Though, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's I, I, I'm all for creative assets, like productive assets like that. But my point is, I, I think crypto is going to become, at least some of the crypto assets are going to become like that, um, especially uh, NFTs. Um, right now, you, 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 right now NFTs look like just like Bitcoin and gold. It just sits there. It doesn't do anything. You own a hash, right? Um, and you see these uh, degenerates online swapping JPEGs like crazy and the, the prices go up and you wonder, oh, what happened? Um, but the thing is, it, it, you, you think about what, what NFT is uh, in its current form is probably not very appealing or not very, it doesn't make a lot, a lot of sense to most people. Right? But the way I see it is it's a way of organizing a group of people. It's a way of organizing a community and the group of people can be customers, it can be, you know, shareholders, it can be audience, it can be, you know, um, your vendors, uh, creators, producers, any kind of group of people. And you, in order to coordinate uh, economic, like a value generating activity, economic activities, you need to coordinate groups of people. And NFT is a way of doing that. And uh, the, I, I, I think the current rendition of NFTs, so mostly it's like artwork or these profile pictures being swapped, like uh, being exchanged uh, within NFT community. I, I really, I see this as just a dry run. <laughs> of what's to come. It's a, it's a way to figure out, okay, to, to, for the NFT communities to explore the boundaries of what a thing can do and different ways to organize the community activities. Um, and I, I think the next version of this uh, would, would, not, would not be, will go much beyond just the images being swapped online. Okay, so right now we're seeing it's basically a beta version, uh, <laughs> a, um, a, a, a test net, test run version of how we can use blockchain to organize human activities, to organize community activities using something like an NFT. And that's, that's for the future, for, for the current, for the short term. I also do not agree that NFTs as online JPEGs do not have value because the way I see them is the same thing as luxury goods, status goods. Um, I'm talking about the, the profile picture type NFTs. The, the, the art, the, the, the more artistic NFTs, I, to be honest, I know very little of because I'm not 
art, art person. Okay, I have no idea how to evaluate art, but these uh, profile picture projects, they're, they're very similar. To me, they're very similar to things like Louis Vuitton handbags. It's, it's a digital version of that. It's a status good. So if you buy a Louis Vuitton bag, do you think the primary utility is carrying stuff? Really? <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what you buy a Louis Vuitton bag for, is to carry your keys and purses? I don't think so. It's, a, it's, it's primarily a status good. It, it conveys a, you know, it, it, it conveys a message of who you are, the type of person you are, your personal identity, who you think you are, right? And uh, uh, the, 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 our needs for status and for products that embody status is as old as humanity, humanity itself. And it's not gonna go away as long as we all have a ego. You know, these things are not gonna go away. And so you, you so uh, products that are basically selling status is a huge, huge market. It's basically half of the economy of countries like France and Italy. <laughs> Those are the, you know, premier status goods producers of the world. And what NFT is currently doing is shifting it online. It's shifting it into a digital version. And so if you don't, if you don't like a fully, like a grasp what I'm saying, I encourage you to try to, to, to actually buy a couple NFTs, okay? And, and, I, I, and, and I, I think after you, you, you try a couple times, you, you, you will start to understand what I'm getting at. And, uh, uh, you know, to, like, to me personally, I'm, I'm really into the JPEG, the profile picture NFTs, because they have a community. And for, for those, I'm not talking about every one of them, of course, the, the total supply you know, there, you see the uh, projects popping up everywhere, all sorts of them, right? And most of these projects are not gonna, uh, it's not gonna be uh, sustainable. It's not gonna live very long, which is the issue. You gotta, uh, this is the venture capital investing style of picking JPEGs. You gotta pick the ones that has a sustainable community. As, as, well, at least to have, have a, you know, prospect of doing that sustainably over the long term. Uh, but for the ones that do have status, okay, and they have a price tag associated with it, they attract the same kind of desire as desires for Louis Vuitton bags. So, um, this is this is just a, a, a web three version of, of playing on the same human needs. Okay. So that's for the short term and the long term of NFTs. Um, okay, uh, next question, VN Shark. Okay, so I still feel cryptos will increase inequality because average American doesn't understand disruptive tech and barrier to entry to crypto is huge. Uh, average person is not skilled enough to make money uh, in this. Again, like I said, at bare minimum, I think blockchain because it, um, it, it really distributes the value added 
from the financial sector, from the financial intermediation sector, which accounts for less than 10% of the U.S. GDP, but accounts for over 20% of the highest paid executives in the country. So think about that. <laughs> it's a hugely unequally distributed industry, okay? So the most of value added of this industry is currently being captured by a very small group of people. So what DeFi does is to really spread the game across the user of DeFi products. And that is going to level up the yield. You're not, so that, that's why DeFi can offer, of course. There are many reasons why DeFi can offer much, much higher yields can, than your savings account, which is like 0.25%. But one of the reasons is it's really, it's, it's uh, distributing the gain of the, of the uh, financial intermediation. I, I will actually write an article about this uh, in terms of what, what, what competitive advantage of DeFi is actually sustainable and what, which part is actually just a regulation arbitrage. But I think the, the, the first part is real and is substantial. So that is going to increase the yield of the bottom uh, tier of uh, income distribution in terms of how much uh, return that people can get on their assets. So I, I think that's one and people don't even need to have a huge knowledge about crypto to, you know, to, to, to have a savings account like that after we improve the UX some more. Uh, and, and obviously a portion of the public, people who are watching this now <laughs> at least, will be the retail investors and crypto, and that is uh, uh, some life-changing money is going to be made there. But again, this is like equal opportunity, unequal result, right? It's uh, all depends on how much you put into this, um, how much drive and thinking and intelligence and you put into looking into these. Um, and the mass will always be the mass, uh, when I say crypto reduce income inequality, I'm not saying that crypto is going to make everybody own the same amount of asset. That's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a it's a one time shock to reset the wealth distribution uh, to a certain extent. It, it's it's not going to turn humanity into a communist utopia. Not going to happen. Okay. Um, Crypto Junkie asks, um, digital assets are here, but long-term, what do you think happens to traditional banks? Okay. Well, I think traditional banks, they, they will first, they will lobby to slow down DeFi. Uh, that's for sure. And, and then they will try to become more like DeFi they would try to have their own layer two, probably, um, offer their own, uh, you know, saving products and whatnot, like higher yields, like DeFi. But 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 here's the thing, though. Um, I, I I don't think I don't think most traditional banks they they cannot they, they just cannot move nearly as fast as the you know open source development community. The reason DeFi is thriving and has such huge comparative advantage 
compared to traditional banking is because you think about the cost associated with banking. Okay, in the United States, it takes a million dollar just to open a bank branch, just one branch. Okay, one branch costs a million dollars a year. If you're a bank, you have a hundred branches. That's a hundred million dollars a year just to run your branches. I'm not talking about anything else. That's operating costs just for the branches alone. And you have back offices, you have compliances, you have securities, you have you know payment, you know all sorts of things. So it's so 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 expensive to run a bank. But you look at DeFi, okay? Huge part of the cost is borne by the infrastructure, by the blockchain infrastructure, your security, payment, you know, network connection. That is all carried, that cost is carried by Ethereum or Solana, whatever L1 that you'll run on, right? That part of cost already covered and you don't have physical branches, needless to say. So you can create a DeFi product with like a hundred K you can get a version of product deployed. So the, the, the cost level with traditional banking is just not even on, not even close. Okay, the cost comparison. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how, how the traditional banks are going to compete. The one advantage they have besides the regulatory, okay, the one advantage they have is liquidity. They have existing customers, existing deposits. So uh, if you bootstrap a DeFi app, one challenge is liquidity. Where are you going to attract the users and attract the, you know, TVLs? Um, so, so, so that that is that is the advantage. But that advantage can be overcome by, you know, offering higher yields, which is what DeFi products have been doing, and all these um, airdrops and uh, creative things. That, that, that people come, strategies that people come up with to attract initial liquidity to their product. So I think, um, I think the, 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 the banks that are going to be hit most are the regional banks, the lower uh, tier, second, third tier banks that have a regional markets because those have uh, less amounts of deposits, less, uh, capacity to in, invest in technology. Um, the, the, the JP Morgan, uh, the visa of the world, they probably come up with something uh, to catch up, to try to catch up with DeFi. Uh, I don't know how that's gonna play out, but, but I think regional banks are in a pretty tough spot. Anyway, guys, my phone is running out of battery. This, is, this has gone on way longer than what I imagined. So uh, that's all for now. I will talk to you soon, okay? Bye.